This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome back to an episode of the Clear Jets podcast where it was Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, long time no speak. It's been a few weeks since our last podcast. Uh, I'd like to apologize to the listeners. I've been going through some personal family stuff that's taken my attention the last few weeks. So uh, we are back though. We have 17 days until the draft, Michael. So, I mean, in general, there's only so much content you can stretch out. So we, we've positioned ourselves nicely here um, to have a lot to talk about over our next few episodes and anticipation for the draft. And uh, before we get into what we have planned for today, Michael, how you been the last few weeks? Oh, I'll be completely honest. Like you said, we've definitely hit this sort of rough stretch in the draft season where we've kind of discussed everything there is to discuss we know the prospects we know the scenarios and now it's just about like changing your mock draft a little bit every single day um so we're definitely in that dry spell where it's like can the draft just get here at this point there's not too much more to play out um so so i'm excited but we're definitely in that you know sort of little period where it's just all speculation at this point it's exciting though it definitely adds to the stakes of draft day so it's fun yeah, I mean, we've, we've kept the anticipation up for our listeners, waiting to see what we're going to think about the Tyler Conklin signings and uh, the the much-anticipated Tyreek Hill saga. The Jets almost traded. There was like two hours there, Michael, where I thought that was about to be the greatest moment of, of the offseason. And then, obviously, that fell through. Um, and then also, you know, I was, I'm was i back in Arizona, and I was waiting in the bushes at Desert Mountain High School trying to see Zach Wilson throw the ball to, yes. to Elijah Moore. <laughs> um, so for anybody doubting our commitment, no, we're, we're still very much around. Uh, I did not happen to just catch him in person, but I, I did. Michael, I called Michael. I was in the bushes waiting uh, and he didn't show up. I mean, it was, it was like 90 degree heat at that point. So I was, I was kind of, let's be clear that you were not literally in the bushes because that does sound a little bit weird, but we did. Well, hey, we had a guy, we had a guy stand out in the bushes for Robert Sala for like 12 we hours. Did. This we fan did. base respects commitment. And I'm just trying well, to, let that's true. They know. did. They did respect the bush man. So, yeah, I know. I was. I took a page out of his book. No, I wasn't exactly in the bushes, but you know, I, I we, wasn't literally we, in the bushes. But we did analyze the Jay Feely image, find the high school they were at. Then I was, you know, on Google Maps, like scouting out all the ways to get there, and just leading Ben to the field. And then eventually, he got a glimpse of it. Unfortunately, Zach Wilson and company were not present at that point, but we did locate it. So was, I think there was we, an effort. We both deserve a job in the front office for that alone. Yeah, exactly. Or detectives. I mean, uh, Michael was the one who f- figured out the field, but we have uh, a very interesting uh, little debate here, Michael. We, we both have come up with our own scenarios about draft day um, because I'm sure over the next few weeks we'll be doing mailbags and there's plenty of other topics, but let's just pretend it's draft day and we're recording this Monday, April 11th, pretend it's draft day. We're going to run through some scenarios 
Uh, and let's just talk about them. Either your reaction to, to the scenario that uh, unfolds or, you know, maybe what you would do in that, that situation. Um, so it all just surrounds draft day. Just put your, your Joe Douglas cap on, which I guess is just a bald cap. I was good. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, unnecessary. unnecessary. Yeah. I'm unnecessary shot at that. Hey, you know, I'll probably lose my hair too. So it's okay. I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's a great look. If, the, you, if you, you know, rock it the right way, I think it can be great. It's all about confidence. Once the hair starts yeah. to thin, if you shave it, you grow the beard out. It's a great look. I mean, both the jets are led by, you know, Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. So both of them are, are setting a good example. Um, I guess Michael will just hop into to the first scenario. I think we have like something like 12 or so to, to run through here. Uh, and this is a scenario that has been floated in the media a lot. And I'm curious to get your take. Um, if picks one, two, and three are the top three addressers, let's say, you know, the Jaguars take Aiden Hutchinson, the uh, Detroit Lions take Trayvon Walker, and the Houston Texans take Kayvon Thib- Thibodeau, the Jets are on the clock at pick four. This is a very realistic possibility. What do you see the Jets doing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what do I see the Jets doing? I think, I feel like they will explore the trade down. I do, but the thing we have to remember is it, the trade down is appealing to us because we don't love the options at that spot. So why would another team feel appealed by those options? So I think that they'll look at a trade down in this sort of situation. Some, somebody could come up for a quarterback. But, come on now. But yeah, I think it'll come down to whether a team likes one of these quarterbacks enough to make that move. Like the saints, for example, seem like a team that's gearing up to do that. They made that trade with the Eagles, which they, you know, basically lost value on just to get the first round pick this year. Um, and with those two mid first rounders, seems likely they're gearing up for a quarterback move. So uh, hopefully if the Jets do want to trade down, there's a team that loves one of these quarterbacks enough and that's what they can make the deal with. But if that doesn't happen, I do think it might be difficult for them to make that trade down. But um, if they were to stick at that uh, with and use that fourth pick in the event that all three edge rushers, those three top edge rushers go with the top three picks. Um, I think Sauce Gardner is the guy for me. And I've talking, I've spoken a lot about uh, how I am. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the value of the cornerback position, especially in this defense. Um, I think that it's less premium than the pass rush, but I just think Gardner is the clear best prospect available at this point. If this is, if this is how it plays, plays out, um, it, to me, I honestly think he's probably the second. He's definitely top three prospect with Hutchinson and, and Equanu for me right now. Um, the order I flip flop on that, but he's up there. So I think in this situation, he's just clearly the best prospect. And I know we have Bryce Hall. Uh, they just signed DJ Reed, but I don't think you can pass on a you know potentially elite prospect just because you have Bryce Hall. And I'm a huge fan of Bryce Hall. I support him more than most people, but. Uh, you know, he's a decent, solid starter right now. And Gardner is a potentially elite one. So I don't think you can write off. I don't think that's strong enough to not draft that position, basically. So so I would take Gardner in this situation, but I do think they would explore the trade down if there's a willing partner. What, what would you do? I agree with you. I think what I would do and what I think the Jets would do are a little different. I do think the Jets would consider Jermaine Johnson uh, who, you know, had a successful senior bowl under the Jets. Uh, I, I don't know if he makes it to 10. Um, and that's, it's very clear that the Jets want to take an edge with, with either 
four or 10. And I think that their plan is to take one at four. So if all three are gone, maybe they are comfortable taking Johnson. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, I'm very confident in sauce Gardner being, uh, you know, at the very least a good corner in this league and, and the, the ceiling to be an elite all pro type of corner uh, in this league. I mean, this is a guy who didn't allow a single touchdown uh, in college. And that's not just like a, a throwaway stat or some guys will have like, you know, crazy stats in college and you go watch the film and it's, it doesn't back it up. Like not only does he have that, you know, uh, hell of a stat right there, but his film backs it up, his analytics back it up, the measurables back it up, his mentality. I mean, everything makes sense for sauce Gardner to be a great player uh, in this league. But like you said, do the jets value corner. I, I, I think they would consider him more than maybe some people were giving him credit. I've seen some beat reporters saying, Oh, there's no way the jets take a corner. I think it was Connor Hughes saying the jets aren't taking a corner at four and 10. And he said it very defiantly. So I think some fans are, are buying into that. I don't know if I would completely write him off. Um, you know, look, this, this defense, it's not exactly the same. It's, it's in fact, it's, it's evolved quite a bit from the Legion of boom, but the first iteration of this cover three Legion of boom defense that Robert Sala was a part of in Seattle featured elite cornerback play in Richard Sermon. And you can throw Brandon Browner in there in the safeties camp chance on Earl Thomas. So it's like a good secondary m- does matter. And then for most teams, cornerback is a premier position and it's a position of need for this team. Uh, depending on how you see it, maybe you, maybe you believe that Bryce Hall and, and DJ Reed um, are great starting corners. I'm comfortable with both of them. Um, but I think sauce Gardner is a bit of an upgrade. Um, so I agree with that. I think Joe Douglas could be partial to Ekwanu because I know you said he's that sauce is probably the best player on the board here, but I think a lot of people would argue that Ekwanu is probably the best player on the board here. The only question with him, because he is a trench player, you know, Joe Douglas values that. And I think the, the coaching staff probably feels the same way. The only question here is like, you know, where does he play year one? Um, but Fant is 29. He's going to be a free agent. Makai Becton has a lot of injury concerns. If Ekwanu is the only blue chip player that you see and you want to build through the trenches, maybe they do take him and they, maybe they have a competition between Fant and Becton or they explore trading one of them or they just stash Ekwanu and see what happens and they let Fant walk. Because again, if, if Fant plays really well this season, he's going to get an extension and it's not just going to be an extension of $10 million a year. You look at the, the uh, amount tackles are getting paid. Fant could get an extension that's worth 15, 16, $17 million a year, depending on how he plays. So if they love Ekwanu, I think they would consider it or Evan Neal. Um, although I, I think a lot of fans uh, wouldn't like that. Uh, but if it were me, I would take Sauce. Now, here's an interesting uh, proposal. You, you say, okay, let's say that they take Sauce or Ekwanu, whatever it is. My first question to you is, what do you prefer that they go after a 10? Edge or receiver? And there's a few follow-ups here, but let's just say they take, we'll just use Sauce Gardner at four. They get to pick number 10. I know it depends a little bit on the board, but just on the outset, what do you prefer, an edge or a receiver there? What do you think they need more? I think, man, it, it's tough because you just – you never want to force needs in the draft because I think that's how you miss out on talent. And in the long run, that's how your roster to overall talent level is hurt because, you know, you draft for a short-term need, but your needs are going to change in a year. Your needs are going to change by the time the season starts once there are injuries – um, once you get into the season, guys decline, guys improve. So if, if you're bypassing talent just to fix a need right now, in the long run, that's going to add up and your drafting isn't going to be as good. So I think it's basically all that is to say receivers, what everyone's going to point to. Everyone feels like they have to get a receiver in the first round. And I would very much like them to if they don't pull off a big trade, which it doesn't seem like they are. So um, I'd like that. Hey, hey don't I, say they, but, they, they can still pull off a trade, Michael. Come on. There's still, I'm, there's still I'm, some guys. I'm, I'm, I'm coping with it at this point. Um, I've taken the copium. 
I'm just I'm looking to the draft now. So, so you don't I, think there's I've, any I've chance? Except you, don't, you don't think there's any Debo, DK, <sighs> AJ Brown, anything like I, that? I just don't see it. It just it just feels like all wishful thinking, honestly. Do you see a chance? I, I definitely think there's a chance for sure, especially with DK, because you look at Seattle's situation, they're objectively in a rebuild. I mean, they don't even have a quarterback at this point. And DK is going to want at least a $25 million a year deal. His value is at an all-time high. I mean, I, I think he makes a lot of sense. And, and I mean, you just look at the contracts that these receivers are getting. I mean, there is an argument to be made, especially with how good receiver classes are every single year that, you know, maybe it's not, maybe, maybe the NFL will turn to a point where it's not worth it to go in and trade assets and pay a receiver for 25 to $30 million, because it seems like every year, like even this is kind of viewed as not a, not a weak receiver class, but maybe not as strong as other years. And I'd still bet that there's probably gonna be more pro bowlers at this or more starters at this position than any, uh, any other position in the draft, like receiver every year you can get talent at. So I think some competitive teams, especially if they have quarterbacks that they're paying a lot of money to, We'll move on from the receivers. You already seen that this, you know, this offseason. So I, I think I think there's maybe a 25% chance it happens. Because yeah, they're certainly uh, in the market. I guess I can agree with that. I think you know 20, 25%. Um, but again, let's assume it doesn't happen. And so getting back to what I was saying, I think if you get to 10, like obviously everyone's gonna want the receiver. Um, but I just feel like, you know, say Carl George Carlaftis is still on the board there. Like I, I think, think he's he will. I a think better. I think he's a better prospect than any of the receivers are. And they still really need an edge rusher. Like we, we don't think enough about how much of a need that could be, you know, when they come into 2023, if Carl Lawson doesn't play well this year, or if he's banged up, he could easily be released there. They would own no, barely any dead money to release him after this year. Clear um, the entirety of his, most of the remaining, his remaining cap hit, um, you know, John Franco Myers isn't necessarily, the best edge rushing fit. We think he's better on the interior. So they're, they could need some edge help going into next year as well. So, um, so anyway, I think that if you get to 10 and they don't take an edge rusher at four, that an edge rusher could be the best player available at that spot. And I think the receiver, the edge has good depth too, but I think receiver has a little bit, I'm more confident in the depth there, like who you could get with one of those high second round picks. If you pass someone, at number 10 versus edge. Cause I really like Carl Aftis. I'm a huge fan of him. Uh, and I think if he's there at 10 and you didn't take an edge rusher at four, then it's kind of a no brainer pick to me. I think he's a great scheme fit. And I like the combination of his floor and his ceiling. Cause I think he's a high floor player just naturally the skill set, his strength, run defense, ability, set the edge, all those things. But he's also an extremely young prospect. He's not even 21 yet. And he's very new to the sport just moved over into the country a few years ago from Greece. So I think there's a lot of upside there too. So basically um, I would be on board for Garrett Wilson or Drake London at 10, but I would just be cautious of thinking about, you know, are those guys really the best player available is wide receiver desperate enough to where you should force the pick for the need there. Yeah, I think, and Carl Aftis is a guy that's kind of flown under the radar. I think when the season initially ended, he was a guy that people were talking about taking at four. And now it's like, I don't even see many people talking about him at all. Part of that might be the assumption that the Jets will land at edge at four. Um, but what do you think is the bigger need? I mean, receiver arguably has less talent, but is maybe not as premium a position for this team. I mean, if you if you had to analyze the roster, what do you think is in a more dire situation? The edge 
uh, spot or the, the receiver spot? I think they're both in similar spots. I think they're in a place where in a perfect world, everyone's healthy. You have a good group at both spots. You know, it, not, not just healthy, everyone's healthy and they play up to their potential. Like Elijah Moore takes that leap. Corey Davis is the number two receiver he was in 2020. Lawson stays healthy. Um, then I think, you know, you're, you're in a good spot, both these positions, but that's not how the sport works. Guys get hurt. They will get hurt. Uh, they're not going to play up to expectations. It happens with every single team. So um, they're going to have to dip into their depth chart. And I think both of these positions definitely need help there. Um, I think the wide receiver need is um, lessened a little bit because of what they have at tight end now, but it's, it's you, you'd want to help your young quarterback as much as possible. Um, but at the same time, when you're drafting, those picks are more so made for the future than the present. Obviously there are, some players every year a couple of exceptions that have great rookie seasons for wide receivers but most of them don't peak until year two year three or or start to hit their peak um so it is again it just comes back to you don't want to reach for a need especially when you consider that these guys probably aren't going to be that great in year one so for me i it's really tough because right now you're looking at Barrios as your third receiver, who, you know, is a good piece, but is that ideal? I don't necessarily think so. And then defensively, as much as I like John Franklin Myers, I think ideally he's playing on the inside or, you know, playing a hybrid role, some inside, some outside, and they have a more traditional edge rusher out there. Um, so they do kind of need a starter both spots. Yeah. Um, but well, I th- they, so I guess this is close. So I guess you have the tiebreaker to the offense receiver, bigger need. Yeah. Receiver is definitely in a worse position in, in my eyes. I mean, like you mentioned, Barrios is receiver number three and I'm a big Barrios fan, but they definitely need somebody else. Whereas the edge you look at, it, it's like, all right, you have JFM, you have Carl Lawson, Bryce Huff is a guy I'm still very high on. I like Jacob Martin. So they don't necessarily have a huge need at edge, but in terms of how this defense, what this defense needs to be able to, to run proficiently, they needed a ton of edge talent. Um, so that's kind of where I guess the, the toss up is, but I agree. I think receiver is the bigger need now, but you look at the board though, and you say that, look, I think the receiver position is deeper. I, I, there are some edge prospects that I do like that. I think the jets could still get on day two, um, but the receiver spot is deeper and probably needs more immediate help. Let's just say uh, Carl Aptis and, and Jermaine Johnson are both available at 10 and, no receivers have been taken. So they have the, the pick of the litter when it comes to receivers uh, and Jermaine Johnson and, and Carl Aptis at edge. What would you go with? Assuming that they, they went with Sauce Gardner at four. Uh, I think, hmm. man, that, this is going to be tough. It's a good problem. Though. This is a good problem. For sure. I don't think this happened. I think, I think Jermaine Johnson's probably going to be gone by pick 10. And right. I think there's a good chance that one of those receivers is gone as well. But, but it's, it's in the cards. I think man I, i'm a big drake london fan i know there's a question mark the injury it's not great that he didn't get to test and obviously it's something going forward you have to think about but i do think he's the best receiver in this class i think he's a good fit for both what they need and the scheme uh more so than i think a lot of people realize because you know he's he's tall you look at his just bombs productions highlights just bunch of <laughs> bunch of contested catches um and they assume like okay he's brandon marshall or whatever but, you know, you actually look at more nitty gritty of his film, you know, the plays that aren't in the highlights. He's a lot of really good short and intermediate routes, slants, 
digs, yeah, things like yak that. Is, his yak is. Yeah, his yak is great. He breaks a lot of tackles, um, which is good for all the crossing routes that you run in this offense. So I think he's a good scheme fit, and he brings that red zone contested catch sort of stuff that the Jets don't really have right now. So I really like I'm, – I'm higher on London as a of value at the 10th pick than a lot of people are. But I also – love Carl Aftis as well I'd probably lean towards him as the better overall prospect but like I said I think tiebreaker goes to the offense I, th- I think I'll go with Drake London I think I will but him or Carl Aftis uh, I'd, I'd be happy with either of those how about you it the thing with Drake London I, I I like him and I agree that he's probably I mean if he's not the best receiver in the class he's, he's probably number two uh, the only thing that that does give me pause outside of the injuries is his speed. And if you if you read anything about what Joe Douglas and or Michael Flora Robertson has said about this receiver position, is speed is the number one most important thing. I mean, they look at speed, separation, and yak. He's clearly got the yak. I don't think separation is actually a big concern, even though he's maybe not the separator that Garrett Wilson is. He he does a lot of that that last minute separation, and um, he's a better separator than some will give him credit for. But the speed is not there. And I, and I think that does give him some pause for, for concern. I think the other thing is, is if you take a guy like, I think they would go Jermaine Johnson. That's who I would take. I think this is a no brainer for me. Uh, and then there's a ton of receivers, not just Drake London or Garrett Wilson uh, or Chris Olave um, or Jamison Williams or Traylon Burks or Christian. Watt. I mean, there's so many receivers that I think it's likely that one of them falls to 35. And if, if there starts to go a receiver, if there starts to, to be a run on the receiver position, you know, the jets don't just have to trade for a veteran receiver. Who's to say that they couldn't put a package together to trade back into the first round and take one of these falling receivers. Um, so I think you'd go edge there. I think you'd go Jermaine Johnson. I like Carl Aftis as well, but I, I, I like Jermaine. Are Johnson. you concerned about Johnson's age at all being 23? Not, not really. No, I think he's a great player. And I think the age stuff gets overblown. I think, yeah, ideally you'd go and draft a guy who's 20 years old and you can, and you can mold him for you know, three or four years. But we saw that with Sam Darnold for years where it's like, Oh, Sam Darnold's younger than Joe Burrow. It's like, well, Joe Burrow's now in a Super Bowl and Sam Darnold is about to be out of a starting job. So age is not the most important thing for me, but yeah, it's a factor. Um, it's close. I like Kralaftis a lot as well. I just think Johnson's probably a tier above him. And you know, he dominated that senior bowl in this system. You know, the coaches like him. Or actually, you know, I shouldn't say you know the coaches like him because he had that tweet. I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if I sent it to you. But he had that tweet this this uh, this week that was tweeted literally from Florham Park, New Jersey, that some people were interpreting as maybe a, a shot or, or something at the Jets. Um, but he, you know, he tweeted out that it that it uh, that it wasn't. So my Twitter is not loading. I'm trying to pull up the tweet. Michael. Can yeah, he also, I think, today liked a couple of tweets of people saying he should go to the Jets. Okay. Right. No, yeah, he tweeted. Uh, this is from Florham Park, New Jersey, and you could see how this could get misconstrued. It says, uh, it's, I don't not, to... it's not good that we know these things. A lot of people were pointing this out. He <laughs> said, I don't need to talk. My tape does that and will continue to. Whoever drafts me, let's ball. That was tweeted from Florham Park, New Jersey. So maybe, maybe he was hyped up. Some people took that as maybe the meeting didn't go too well. I think that's all just smoke. Um, also, a couple things on, on what you just said before we move on. Um, but with London in, t- in terms of the speed, I, th- I think that is a good point because and I, I just did an article on this a few days ago, but looking at the Douglas's first two drafts, one thing that you notice is that um, with his days, day one and two picks in, in 2020, 2021, so rounds one through three, all the picks he's made in the first three rounds are exceptional athletes. Um, Becton, Vera Tucker, Mims, Zuniga, Ashton Davis, um, we don't necessarily know how Zach Wilson would have tested, but I think you could throw him in there. And even if not, he's a quarterback. 
So it's an exception. Elijah Moore, um, all great athletes. Um, it's not until the third day of the draft where he's kind of opened it up more and been okay with drafting guys who aren't workout warriors. But first three days, he's been all in on that athletic potential. Um, and London didn't test, obviously, but I think we can probably assume that if he did, I'm not saying he would be bad, but he probably wouldn't be outstanding. And Douglas has only drafted outstanding athletes in the first three days, the first two days of the draft. So I think that is a fair point. Maybe um, based on those tendencies, Douglas doesn't love the athletic upside with London enough to take him uh, in the first round. So I, I think that is a fair point as well. And then another thing you brought up, um, you know, potentially trading into the bottom of the first round. Um, I, my counterpoint to that would be, I, I'm not a fan of doing that. And I think the reason is because we've seen, and we talked about this before, but um, we've seen the past few drafts that there's been more success with high second round picks than low first round picks. And I think with the Jets already having two picks in that range, I think they're in a good spot to just sit there and let the talent fall to them because what we tend to see is that, you know, bottom of the first round, mostly good teams, contending teams. And what those teams will do is they'll tend to reach, you know, bypass overall talent in favor of positions where they have a need, where they have a starting spot that's open. And because they're trying to win now, find guys who could help them right away. And so by doing that, you'll see some great talents, guys who didn't expect to be available in the high second round, fall down there. And then that's how we start to see better production out of the high second round picks. Um, Over the last six draft, we've seen eight pro bowlers drafted from picks 33 to 40 and only four drafted from 25 to 32. So I think in the high second round, you're in a good spot to just kind of sit there, let the talent fall to you instead of, you know, having to give up assets to get into that low first round position when those teams are probably not going to be as likely to take the guys you want because they're going to reach a little bit to fill their needs. Whereas the bad, you know, the teams that aren't as good, the bad teams like the jets can just sit there and let the overall talent fall to them. Uh, So I like their positioning in the high second round. I'm not a huge fan of Trey, even if I guess that you can make the exception if it's like, Oh, Traylon Burks is really slipping. Like he's there at 29, 30, 31 or something like that. I guess you could. Um, But for the most part, barring a, tremendous opportunity i think that being at 35 and 38 is an awesome place to be yeah I, for all the attention that four and ten is getting 35 and 38 is really going to make or break this class i mean obviously if they get a you know pro bowler and with four and ten maybe not as much but like you said 35 and 38 is a great place to pick in the draft and I, i'm in full agreement with you but I, I, it should be noted that there are a lot of teams that that need receiver and like you said the, those those contending teams start to reach for needs and so you get towards the end of the first, I think you're going to see a big run in receivers. So if the Jets want to hop the line there and land a guy that they love, whether that's Chris Olave or, or Jamison Williams or somebody, I wouldn't hate it. I also think it's important to note that the Jets were willing to, to part with 35 and 38 for Tyree Kill. Obviously, that's, you know, an elite playmaker. But, you know, if they loved somebody at – well, I mean, maybe they could have traded for him and then traded down or something to try to recuperate the assets. But it's just it should be noted that they were willing to part with those picks before. So maybe it's not – Maybe there isn't a prospect that they're already in love with that they wanted that they're you know desperately targeting at 35 and 38. As I was talking, we were talking beforehand. It's like how much the mock drafts have changed since free agency. Because if you go right. back to January, everybody was talking about how the Jets are going to take you know, Trey McBride or tight end at 35 and 38. And now that's not necessarily the case. So 
I, 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 there, there is a big question mark on what exactly they'll target at 35 and 38. And in fact, I mean, there's some other things I'd like to talk about, but just for the, the sake of the flow here, let's say they go edge of four receiver at 10. Who are the, the, what are the positions that I think at 35 and 38, obviously you said you can't reach for positions. Some, some great player is going to fall from, from the first round and be available there. It, ha- it happens every year. It happened to the Jets last year with Elijah Moore. So you can't really just judge by position, but who are maybe some of the prospects in that range that you look at and say, uh, that's the guy that I want in the New York Jets. So edge at edge and wide receiver in the first round in this scenario. Okay. Um, I think I'm looking mostly to the defense here, defensive tackle, safety, uh, corner and uh, corner, maybe less so than before the DJ Reed signing, but still on the table because I think there will be values at that position here. Um, and linebacker, I think I'm really looking at those positions. Um, obviously, in this situation, wide receiver already taken, so not on the board, but this will be a, a nice spot for receivers, I think, if they don't go that way in the first round. Um, but in this situation, I think you're really looking at the defense here. I think, you know, with – Certain safeties like Lewis Seen, although his stock is rising a lot, might not be there in the second round. But Daxton Hill, um, then the corners, Jaquan Roger Brisker, McCreary, don't, don't forget Gordon, Brisker. Jaquan Brisker at the safety position. Uh, but I really think defensive tackle is an underrated one to look at here because, Definitely. you know, they let Foley, uh, Foley file Kasi walk. They haven't really replaced him. They did sign Solomon Thomas, but it was to a very cheap deal. And he doesn't replace what you lost in Foley, that run-stuffing player. Um, who doesn't necessarily have to be a, you know, zero technique, nose tackle, 350-pound guy over the center, because they don't use that that much. Foley was only playing nose tackle about, I think, 17% of his snaps. Um, over 70% he was at uh, lined up over the guard, either two-eye or three technique. Um, that's how this defense runs. They need a guy who could who is a run stuffer. You know, he'll play on rundowns, and that's why he's out there. But he's also, a, you know, on the – not necessarily on the smaller side, but just a good athlete. Uh, and that's why I like DJ Jones. Uh, and for agency, I thought he would be a great role to fill that. Obviously expensive. Um, but now in the draft, I think you have an opportunity to, uh, to fill that role in an affordable fashion with guys like um, Travis Jones from Connecticut. Um, and, and there are a, quite a few defensive linemen. Figure, Jordan forget. Davis in the first round. I mean, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just putting it out there. I wouldn't support it. But um, I, I'm not saying I would support that was the wrong word. It's not my first choice, but I do think it's on the table. Um, uh, but Devontae Wyatt, uh, Logan Hall, DeMarvin Leal, Perry and Winfrey. There there some you, good, then you finally you know, said it. Perry and Winfrey, if he's there, is definitely got to keep yeah. an eye out for. He won Senior Bowl MVP, dominated in the system all week there. I think it's very likely that he's available. I definitely keep an eye out for him. Because like you said, it's I, I think Jets fans, because we had that that stretch of like, Taking Wilkerson, Copel, Sheldon Richardson, Leonard Williams, Quinn and Williams. I mean, they've they've just constantly taken interior defensive linemen. You know, a few good players in that that group there, but I can see why fans would be frustrated. But in this system, especially in in most systems, but especially in this system, the Jets need a, a deep defensive rotation. I mean, the Jets need a lot of talent on that defensive line. That's why I wouldn't be surprised if they go edge at four and a defensive tackle at thirty five or thirty eight. Um, because they can keep their defensive linemen fresh. They can keep rotating them. Um, they're not, you know, the thing, the reason, the big reason they let Foley Fadikasi walk is because he wasn't a scheme fit. But there are guys in this draft class that are direct scheme fits. And I, I, I really, it's a deep defensive line class, and I really wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I would say I'm expecting them to take an interior defensive lineman on day two. I think it'll be in round two, but if it's not, I could see round three as well. 
Yeah, um, I, I agree. So let's just put that out there right now. The Jets are going to draft a defensive tackle, and you are going to like it. You are not going to complain and talk about how many defensive tackles they've drafted because it's a need, and they're going to draft a player, and it's going to be a great pick, and you're going to smile about it. Okay, all right, all right. That was creepy. But no, <laughs> right, I'm, but sorry. I like... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that harsh harshness. But um, harsh reality. Well, I, I, but... I think it is, you know, it, it's a need, and it's something that they could – really use that the run defense was really bad last year i mean don't we want to get better at that don't we want to rush the pass for a little bit more um it, it's not as sexy as other positions you could take but it is uh it's a need and there are some good prospects who i think will be good values in the high second the leaps this jets defense would take if they were able to to hit on an edge and interior defensive lineman especially if carl lawson comes back at, at the level that he was playing at i mean this jets defensive line can carry this entire defense um, and obviously they were one of the, they were the worst defense in the league last year, but if they can hit on some interior defensive or they can hit on some defensive linemen, uh, in the draft, I think you're going to see a huge leap from this defense, um, especially in the second year in the system. Um, all right. Uh, there's a lot of scenarios to go through here, Michael. I'm, I'm trying to pick which one you want to go with. Um, I have one Okay, um, go ahead. on the topic of wide receivers, which we were just talking about specifically in the second round. Um, so let's say the Jets don't take a receiver in the first round. They do whatever they do with four and 10. Uh, they come on the clock at 35. They don't trade up. And there's, you know, let's say none of those three. I think there's three guys who seem pretty obvious first round picks, London, Wilson, Alave, let's say they're gone. But let's say all of those, you know, sort of fringe first, second round guys are gone as well. So let's say none of those three guys I just mentioned, no Jahan Dotson, no George Pickens, no Traylon Burks. No Jesus. Christian Watson. <laughs> well, none of those guys are available. You're at 35. Haven't picked a receiver yet. Uh, what are we doing? All right. Well, that's not happening. Let's just let's just be clear about it. Because how many receivers? That's what is that like? That would be seven. nine receivers. Well, seven. But then there's also Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, and Drake London gone. Right. So that's, I mentioned that's London. 10. Okay, throw Jamison Williams in there. That's eight. All right, my bad. That's eight receivers gone in the first. I mean, maybe that could happen. If that happens, I I don't expect the Jets to to reach for a guy. I mean, like there's a guy like Sky Moore. That right, how about how about not... we make it more realistic? Let's take Pickens. Say Pickens and Watson are available. Do you like one of them here? Oh, I like I like uh, both of them. I, I okay. I, that's actually a really tough call for me because those are the two guys that I I would really if the Jets don't get a receiver in the first round, I I just want one of those guys. Pickens is a beast and he's hard not to fall in love with. Obviously, the injury this past year kind of um, has has shattered him, but. Uh, or overshadowed him, but he's a hell of a player. And then Christian Watson's a guy who, who really performed at the senior bowl. I have a feeling the jets like him a lot, especially when he got those, that rumbling from the senior bowl and the scouting combine that he's a guy who's really impressed. I expect Christian Watson to go in the first round between the two of them. Oh, it's such a tough call. I'll go Pickens. Uh, but that's, that's a really tough call. But with your initial question, if, if for the nightmare scenario happened, one, I would expect the Jets to at some point, if receivers started to go like, like hotcakes like that, I would expect the Jets to, to maybe move up or maybe, you know, trade for a veteran like a Debo or a DK or an AJ Brown. Cause I do think it's, it's, I think it's likely one of those guys that gets moved. Um, and there are other veteran receivers that they can maybe trade for. But I think that the thing to keep in mind is you remember 2020, that draft, how the Jets had a desperate need for a receiver in a different situation. Obviously, Joe Douglas, I think, regrets how he handled that whole offseason trying to build around Sam Darnold. But the Jets had a desperate need of receiver. A lot of people wanted them to take one in the first round. They didn't. It was like, okay, they need to take one in the second round. Um, Denzel Mims on the clock and the Jets traded back. 
And then they ended up still getting Denzel Mims and we all praise Joe Douglas for understanding the draft board and whatnot and still getting his guy. But at the time, I mean, maybe we should have read into that as like, okay, the Jets don't actually love Denzel Mims. Um, but I don't think Douglas is the type who's going to reach for a receiver there. I think he'd be like, all right, I mean, if, if those, if, if eight receivers go in the first round, there's going to be some damn good players there at 35 and 38. Take those guys and there's still be a receiver in the third round you, could, you can grab. Um, and, you know, they can still trade for a veteran that maybe isn't at that elite high tier level. I don't think that that nightmare scenario happens, but there's still guys in the third, or if you want to reach in the second, but guys in the third, like, you know, like John Mechie, um, or, or David Bell or Alec Pierce or somebody like that, that they could take in the third. And, and it wouldn't be amazing. I think the Jets would get panned for that, but they would still probably be walking out of that draft with, with four very good players. Um, now you mentioned trading and, and I think there's one team in particular that everybody has their, their eyes on. And, and this is going back to pick number four, the New Orleans Saints made that very strange trade with the Eagles. Uh, now they have picks 16 and 19. And you'd think that, the only way that they, the only reason they would make that trade is if they're trying to put together a package to trade up 16 and 19 does match the trade value for pick four fairly well. Michael, let's just say the jets trade. We'll, we'll keep it simple. There might, there maybe there would be other picks involved here, but let's just say the jets trade pick four for 16 and 19. Who are some of the prospects in that range of the draft um, that, you, that you would be interested in the jets exploring? So now they have 10, 16 and 19. Who are some of the, the, the guys that, that come to mind? I think this is a great class to trade back because I think if like, say you make that trade, now they have three picks from 10 to 19 within the first round. Um, I think that's a really good spot to be in where you could feel comfortable about checking off different needs and doing it with value. Because like with all the scenarios we've discussed so far, there are a lot of conversations of that, you know, need versus overall talent sort of debate. And, as many picks as they have there, are, it still feels like that they're going to have to, you know, leave something to the wayside with some of these premium picks. Um, that's how thin the roster is right now. But if you can get three first round picks in this, in a draft class, that's much more so predicated upon its depth than its premium talent. Then, because I was talking about this with you before, uh, before we started recording, but like, I don't feel too much regret about the jets you know, winning those games at the end of the season to ruin their draft position, because it's like, like it's, this isn't a draft where they really needed to be that high, uh, where there wasn't a huge reward for being as much higher as they were. Um, so I think if you could get 10, 16, 19, then you could, you know, comfortably take your edge rusher at 10, get a receiver at 16, whoever the best one at that point is, then 19, you can get a little bit more creative. Think about linebacker with Nicobe Dean or Devin Lloyd, uh, you know, because that's a position that at 10, probably not on the table, but now you're at 19. That's a realistic spot to reasonably address that need. Um, I mentioned Jordan Davis before at, I don't know if he gets to 19, but maybe at 16, you do it. Um, but there are a lot of, you could check, you could fix a lot of needs. If you could pull off a trade down like this, I think it is a, a very good path to take if it is, available to them i i also think it opens them up to take maybe and they could do it at 10 they still could do this at 10 but if they make a trade down like that i think it opens them up to take maybe a swing on a guy with with some injury concerns like a jamison williams who if he didn't get hurt i think he's receiver one i mean especially for what the jets are looking for when we talk about uh speed uh yak and separation i mean that's jamison williams and look i would consider him a 10 
regard even if, I guess I should I should say this right. Who is your your top receiver? Like if all the receivers are available at ten, who are you taking? Right now I'm with London, but I I do agree with you that health aside, it would probably be Jameson Williams because I think his deep speed and separation is probably the best individual skill of any prospect, at least the top prospects. I have not watched every single wide receiver in this draft, but at least of like the top ten or so. His deep speed is probably the best individual trait. So, it's it's just different. It's it's fantastic, and he yeah, does have yeah. questions. I think his drops are not great. He does body catch sometimes, but pure speed and separation, it's great. So I think he would be number one. Health not considered, and London well, does have health questions that, too. But London that, would be yeah, my number okay. one. That's Go what ahead. I'm getting to is that you have London as number one. What? Right. I don't know why people are just discounting Jamison Williams with saying take Drake London because they both have major health concerns. And, and look, ACLs are not the same as they used to be. It's not as much of a career ender, especially for a guy who's 21 years old. There is some concern about retears, especially when you have those you know, high explosive athletes, fast twitch uh, muscle fibers. There's maybe a concern that he could retear it or, you know, when he's coming, if he rushes back too soon, he could maybe hurt his hamstrings or whatever. There, there's definitely risk there, but there's, objectively a lot of risk with London as well when it comes to injuries. And he's not the athlete that Jamison Williams is. So I would, well, I think for me, that is where the question comes in because I think Williams is more of a speed athleticism based player. I think if he does have injury questions, it could cost him more than a player like London. I don't, I don't agree with that, that analysis because there's a reason why guys like, I'm trying to think of a a good example for, for the point, the guys who are the, the, the fast high, uh, Fast twitch sprinter. I'm trying to think of a good Deshaun Deshaun Jackson. He's a guy who's been in the league forever because those fast guys have a step to lose. And obviously, you don't want to draft a guy and hope that he, you know, see that he's going to lose a step. But when you take a guy who runs at 120 miles an hour, if he gets an injury and he's only running now at 100 miles an hour, it's still faster than a guy like Drake London who's running at 80 miles an hour. And if he gets injured, maybe running at 60. I mean, obviously, those are numbers that don't make any sense. But just you see what I'm trying to say here is like Jamison Williams has a step to lose. And we've seen plenty of guys come back from ACLs and not lose a single step. And he's a guy who seems to be recovering quite fast, that he, he might be ready in time for the season. If you do take a guy like Jamison Williams, you know ideally if the Jets really wanted to go all out they could have traded for a guy like Brandon Cooks and drafted Jamison Williams with Cooks's extension I don't think that happens but you could still take Williams and sign a guy off the free agents market trade for a mid-level vet um, do nothing but I would consider Williams a 10 but going back to the original question if you do trade down and you have 10 16 19 I think you have more freedom to use one of those picks and just take a big swing on a guy like Jamison Williams or hell a Derek Stingley because if, if the injury bug hits them bad and they don't recover, whatever, I think you, you, you're able to take that risk. Um, you feel freer to take that risk uh, if you have three first-round picks. Uh, and it also opens you up to, like you said, taking maybe a non-premium position uh, like a Devin Lloyd or a Nicobe Dean or maybe a Tyler Linderbaum or safety. And not just Kyle Hamilton, but I think a guy like Daxton Hill is a guy who's really flown up the boards and, and could be a mid-first-round pick at this point. Um, speaking of the safeties, Michael, I, I, I tweeted this, this scenario out this past week. Let's say the Jets land their edge at four, and this isn't a, what would you do? It's more of how would you react? Let's say the Jets get an edge at four and let's actually, let's also say they trade 35 and 38 for a receiver, whether it's, we'll use DK. Cause I think he's probably the most likely. So let's say they, they take an edge at four, whoever you want, you know, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and they, they trade for, for DK Metcalf great off season so far. But at 10, they take Kyle Hamilton, a safety, who at this point, 
there is a there is a chance that he's the best player on their board at 10 when the clock rolls around. How do you feel um, if that scenario plays itself out? I think at 10, I'm okay with Hamilton. I, I definitely think I would be. Um, at four, I would. there are some guys I'd prefer more than him. Walker, Thibodeau, you know, obviously the top Hutchinson, um, Gardner. Um, I guess those guys mainly. Um, so I'm not a fan at four, but at 10, if it does play out that way, uh, I, I think I'd be open to it. There are obviously some question marks with his 40 time wasn't great. Um, but although his 40 wasn't great, he was very good in other drills. So his RAS was still very high. Uh, so I, at 10, I'd be okay with it for sure. And I think it's important to note that you look at the top, and I think I've made this point in the podcast before, but you look at the best defense in the league, the Buffalo Bills, where are they strongest at? It's not edge. It's not corner. I mean, they do have Tredavious White, but they play half the season without him. They're strong at safety and linebacker, which are the two positions on defense that you would probably qualify as non-premium. Um, safeties do matter. They don't have necessarily the same impact as other positions, but you know Robert Sala values them. They valued them in San Francisco. They valued them in Seattle. If he falls in love with Kyle Hamilton and they feel like they've addressed edge and receiver, I would not be surprised if he's the pick at 10. I, I, I'm not going to go as far as to predict it, but I think it's in the cards and I think fans should be, should be ready for that. And also look, if they trade for an elite receiver and still get an edge at four, I don't really give a damn what they do at 10. If I'm being honest, just take the best player available. Uh, if that's Linderbaum or Devin Lloyd or somebody out of left field, I think, you know, that's a scenario you can get behind because also I think they only take that safety if they feel that he's that elite unicorn that he's been billed as. The, the, the negative that I raised, and it's not necessarily him as a player, it's, you know, do you want to be investing? Let's say he, let's say he's good. And then it's like, you probably want to give you, you know, you want to resign your own guys. Joe Douglas is going to want to keep his own guys. Do you want to be investing premium assets in a safety? I mean, this is the Jamal Adams question before the whole drama and trading and whatever, but it's like, it's almost like the Jets were better off just sending him, sending him out of there instead of paying him, you know, Seahawks gave him what, like $17 million a year. It's like, do you want to end up paying big money at safety or would you rather just every few years sign a guy like a Jordan Whitehead and pair him with a veteran? I mean, it feels like every year there's solid safeties uh, in the market. So that that is the one argument for like, do you really want to take him? But if they have Kyle Hamilton as a top 10 player in this draft and they get to 10 and he's the top guy on the board and they feel like they've addressed their other needs, it makes sense. It does make sense. Um, another reaction question for you, Michael, and this is one that I know, I know how you already feel before I ask this question, but let's just say uh, it goes edge, 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 one, two, three. Jets are at four. They don't take sauce. They take uh, Ike McWane or Evan Neal. They take an offensive tackle. How do you feel and how, how are you going to rationalize it? Because we all know that by, you know, day three of the draft, you'll have come around in that pick. Um, so how do, you, how do you predict yourself rationalizing that pick? You know, Joe Douglas loves his offensive lineman. It's certainly in the cards, even if there's not necessarily a space for them. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, I'll be completely honest. I would have a negative reaction to that initially, but by the third day, I'd be tooting Douglas's horn, putting out all these tweets about <laughs> how it was the greatest pick ever. Um, that's just how hundred reasons to believe in Ike McQuarrie. Hundred reasons to believe in Evan Neal. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's not something right now that I'm a huge fan of doing. I, I, a hundred percent acknowledge the tackle need. They need to improve the backup spot right now. Connor McDermott is not a good player. That's not someone you want coming in as your first backup tackle. We saw that at the end of the year in the Buffalo game. when I think he gave up three sacks or something like that. Um, he's not good. He caught one cool pass. Great. He's bad. Um, so you, they definitely need to improve the tackle depth. 
Um, and of course, there, like you mentioned earlier, there's long-term questions. George Fant, we don't know if he'll be back next year because he's a free agent. Even if he's good, do you want to pay him into his 30s? Um, Becton, injury questions. Can he build on that first year? Left side, right side. So there are plenty of questions. And I think they should look at, and I should have mentioned this earlier when we, when we were talking about um, second round possibilities, but I think as soon as the second second round, go ahead and start thinking about tackle depth if, if that's something they want to do. Um, but with the fourth pick, I just think that's too early for a position where ideally, you know, if everything plays out right, like you have your starters in place because that guy's coming in day one and he's a backup. I just don't think with the fourth pick, you should be taking a player who is not going to be starting for you right away. So um, that's just how I see it. And, and you look at fourth picks and throughout history, um, it, it's not something that happens other than with quarterbacks. You look at top five picks, top 10 picks, very rare to see players who aren't starters in year one. So I think that player has to be a starter and it's too much of a risk to where, you know, you draft Neil, you draft Aquanu, whoever, and, you know, say Becton and Fant work out and everything goes great. Now you just have this, extra player which i guess he's a good backup but it was the fourth pick you could have drafted a stud edge rusher or a stud corner and now you're left with the backup so i think there's too much of a risk for that for me to make that pick at four but i do acknowledge the need for a tackle so um i guess that's how i would rationalize it because um you know it does give them a lot of flexibility long term to to let fant walk and have a cheap replacement for beckton to not pan out and immediately have a talented replacement for him um, and then short-term improve the tackle depth. So I, I would get it, but it's, it's definitely pretty far down my list of preferences of what they should do with the fourth pick. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing is, and not to be a downer, not to say that the jets shouldn't be trying to compete this year because they absolutely should be, but looking at the AFC this year, it's going to be tough to make the playoffs. I, I'm not saying that we should, ex, you know, accept another mediocre season where the jets season is over by week five. I mean, that's, they absolutely should be playing meaningful games in November and December. And if they can finish around 500, preferably above 500, I'll be ex- extremely happy, but should be noted that again, you're still, you're not rebuilding, but you're still in the building phases of this roster and you have to look towards the future. And if you think Ekwanu is a blue chip player at a position that you value and tackle with, there is a question mark there. It, it's certainly on the table, you know? And then if they take Ekwanu at four, and they are able to land an edge at 10, like George Karlaftis, and let's say they get a receiver at 35 or they trade, whatever. It's like, are, how upset will Jets fans be if they go Ekwanu at four, edge at 10, and they're able to still get a receiver everybody can like it at 35 or, or, or by trade? Um, it's, it's in the cards. I think it's in the cards more so than people w- would imagine. And also, for you know all the question marks of, oh, well, they don't need this, blah, 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 whatever. We know that teams don't just draft necessarily for need they draft on talent and they look towards future needs um which is you know kind of the argument when the jets took elijah moore if you don't if you remember there are a lot of fans that didn't necessarily love the elijah moore pick when it was first announced because it was like oh we already have Corey davis denzel mims and jamison crowder and where's he whatever a lot of people didn't love the elijah moore pick uh and then it turned out that you know he ended up being a fantastic player as a rookie and we're, we're counting on him to potentially be a receiver one for zach in the future um if the Jets take Ekwanu and they have an offensive line of just, let's just ignore George Fan for a second of Ekwanu and Lakin Tomlinson 
and Elijah Vera Tucker and Makai Becton, and then you throw Connor or uh, Connor McGovern there. I mean, that's four Maulers in a in a, a finesse center right there. But four absolute Maulers. I mean, if if Becton comes back to, to his form as a rookie and Ekwanu is what we think he is, and same goes for AVT and Tomlinson. But the expectation would be with that with Ekwanu that the Jets have the best offensive line in the league. And you have the how many bad teams have amazing offensive lines? Not many. So I could get behind it. I could certainly rationalize it. It's not as sexy from a need perspective. And you do worry about getting the edge or getting the receivers. Um, but I think it should be noted, and we haven't really talked about this because we haven't done the podcast since the Jets signed Tyler Conklin. Um, the Jets did bring in two receiving tight ends. The, this is an offense that wanted to run a lot of 12 personnel. They, they had to make some adjustments to, to you know, incorporate more 11 personnel. And by the end of the year, I think they, they had the most, the highest usage of 10 personnel, which is four receivers for anybody who doesn't know. Um, but I would imagine that they're going to probably re- revert more to the mean of, of what this offense was supposed to be, which is a lot of 12 personnel. You know, they, they want to come out in those run first formations, be able to run it down your throat and then be able to open it up with play action, take deep shots, keep the defense guessing. Um, so maybe receiver isn't as big of a, of a need. I mean, Michael, with the addition of Conklin and Uzama, how do you feel like that changes not just the need for receiver? Cause I think they definitely need a receiver, but maybe more so the type of receiver. Cause when you talk about Drake London, one of the things that he brings you is going to be that jump ball contested catchability, which we know Zach Wilson thrived with at, at BYU with a guy like Dax Milne. Um, and I, and I do think that Zach is going to need that, but the argument can be made, Hey, maybe he'll get that contested catch stuff from Uzama and Conklin and the receiver should be more focused on, on speed and athleticism. Do you kind of agree with that point? Or do you think, look, just take the best receiver and then, then figure out the offense. Well, I think it definitely makes it less desperate in terms of needing a wide receiver in this draft, just because you have two, you know, starting caliber pass catchers at tight end. Um, in terms of, in terms of the skill set, I think I do agree with you. It does kind of uh, increase the need for more of like a take the top off the defense downfield kind of guy. Um, because that is the one thing that when Zach Wilson was playing better near the end of the season, wasn't quite there. He was much sharper on the short passes, the intermediate stuff, but, there's pretty much no deep production to speak of down the stretch. He's only, the only deep production was in that Titans game that I can. Really yeah, think. pretty much. Um, and I know he didn't have more Davis at the end of the season, but even, even when he did have them at the beginning of the year, he was mostly missing them when he did try those throws. Um, you look at the Falcons game um, Panthers game. He did have some good balls, more dropped one, um, but down the stretch of the season, it was all short and intermediate stuff. They didn't really have someone who could take the top off. And Elijah Moore can do that, but I think his bread and butter is going to be being that go-to guy on short, intermediate stuff, design touches. Davis is more of an intermediate guy, too, Um, not necessarily like a vertical winner. So they could really use that. And then, again, back to the tight end point, you have two more guys who are good safety blankets. They know to find the soft spots, can catch check downs. Um, Conklin's a good, very good short route runner. Um, Uzama's a good yak guy. Um, so they bring a lot of that underneath stuff. And what they really don't have right now is that explosive downfield kind of guy. Um, so I think that, I think it does sort of push you in towards that direction a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I definitely would say it does. All right, Michael, let's, let's end here with uh, a quick little mock draft. Let's go through the picks and and just the top 10 picks in this draft. And let's see who you would take, who you who you and I would take um, 
I haven't written this out, so I guess you and I can kind of communally do it. What do we think each team would do? And then when we get, we're not going to choose for the Jets. We'll just, we are going to choose for the Jets, but we're not going to try to map it out to see, you know, the best options for four and 10. Let's just try to do this organically. I think most people agree that it'll probably be Aiden Hutchinson at number one. Maybe I can make one, but probably Hutchinson number one. Any objections? Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah. And then at two, I mean, there's some Malik Willis chatter to make it interesting. Let's just say Trayvon Walker. Do you agree with that? Or do I mean, we could, I'm kind of, you know, bouncing off you. I just want to get, a, um, a, I want to get an organic mock draft here. What do you, do you think? Malik- yeah. Let's say no quarterback. I think it makes the decision more interesting for us. Okay. So we'll go Walker. And then at three, Houston Texans. Now, I floated out to you before the podcast. I think I would keep an eye on Sauce Gardner at number three. Nobody's talking. No, I haven't really seen many people talk about that. But you look at that front office coming for New England. I mean, that New England invests in the defensive backfield. You think about how many elite corners and safeties that they've had. I think Nick Casario's might look at Sauce Gardner and, and fall in love with him. Um, so I'm kind of saying I'm kind of leaning towards Sauce at number three. Do you have? Let, let's go with that. That's a strong point. I think let's go with it. Okay, so our top three right now is Hutchinson uh, at to, to the Jaguars, Trayvon Walker to the Lions, and Sauce Gardner to the Texans. The Jets are sitting at four. Kayvon Thibodeau is on the board. Do you buy any of the smoke that maybe the Jets uh, want to – or teams are going to stay away? And Rich Samini said uh, – somebody had it. Somebody had a tweet that basically said Kayvon's a lock to go top five, and then Rich Samini uh, replied, you know, I wouldn't count on it or something, which is a little cryptic. Maybe he knows something that everybody else doesn't know, but there has been rumblings that Kayvon could fall. Are you buying those rumors? Do you think the Jets go a different edge? Do they do the obvious and take Kayvon? Uh, what do you think they do here? And this is what you yeah. think they'll do, not what you would do. It's one of the hardest things for us to project because it's such an important part of where players get drafted and whether they succeed. And it's something we frankly know nothing about. And unless there's like an extreme case where a guy, has, you know, legitimate off-field problems that are documented. When it's this kind of smoke sort of thing where there's not really evidence for it, it's just kind of talk, we don't know if it's if it's real or if it's just, you know, teams throwing it out there so he falls to them. If it's unsubstantiated, we don't know. So it is hard for us. But I do think that if it is real, it is something that the Jets will pass on because I feel like Douglas has shown a strong leaning towards those high character type of players. So if there is sort of skepticism there, I feel like that they'll probably pass on them in favor of, you know, a player that they're more confident in in that department. So uh, I guess that's where I would stand on it. If I don't necessarily know, we don't know for sure, but if it is legitimate, I do think the jets would pass. You think they're going to pass. So who, so who do you have them taking it for them? Because I, I, I already written down Kayvon. I thought it was – I was pretty confident you were going to say that they would take Kayvon, so I already wrote him down. But if they don't go Kayvon at four, who do you who do you see? We can go with them. We can go with them. I'm, I'm just saying that I think if if it is legitimate, they would pass. But assuming it's not – but that's where I lean. I lean towards it not being okay. legitimate because I just feel like he's the type of guy yeah. where – I just I think he's just a little bit more vocal about his thoughts, and that rubs some well, people also, like, the wrong, the wrong yeah. way. But um, but I mean, Aiden Hutchinson has like a documentary about himself going on right now. And, yeah, it was you know, really asking just people that he, to come around filming him. It so. was really yeah, just that he. It was really just that he said that he part of the reason he chose Oregon over Alabama was because you know the, that you can get a job at Nike afterwards, and it was about his brand and and so I guess the Jets have, have talked about they want guys who eat, sleep, you know, 
die, whatever, live football. Um, and because, you know, when, when you're internally motivated like that, when you get money, when you get the success that you'll, you'll always come back to football and that'll be your number one thing. So there, there is legitimate smoke that the jets might not take him. But at the same time, there was also a report that the jets just see him as like the new age athlete and whatever. At the same time, this super talented football player at a, at a position of need. And if you put him in this defense, I think you'll see him thrive. So I haven't taken cave on. And I think they, but as you said, it really comes down to those, those pre-draft interviews. I think he has one with the jets this Friday. That'll be a big deal. Um, for right now, let's just say cave let's, let's not ruffle any feathers. I think, I think it, it's, it's likely that if cave there, that he would be the pick. If not just to, we're going to roll with cave but if not, do you go with another edge? Do you think, I mean, sauce is gone. Equan or Equan is on the, on the board. Maybe they could go with him. Let's say they, let's say the cave smoke is legitimate. Who would you go with here? Uh, I mean, in terms of what they'll do, I definitely agree with you that I think the tackle possibility is probably real, more real than um, tackle skeptics like myself would like to admit. Um, man, it, do, it does become really tough if you're in this situation and, you know, they're not sold on Kayvon character-wise. Um, maybe they sort of it would i mean it would be a reach in the eyes of a lot of people maybe they do go for one of the other edge rushers carlaftis or johnson um that's the only other possibility i could really see. it may be hamilton maybe they do so no, they're not taking a safety yeah. four come on now I'd, again i'm just throwing it out there in this somewhat of a nightmare scenario um i don't know what, what do you think they would do so if they don't buy t- Thibodeau and sauces. I mean, and then we're, I guess we're also assuming in this nightmare scenario that uh, no team wants to trade up. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think they go, I want to say Jermaine Johnson. I think they go Jermaine Johnson, but yeah, it's either Johnson or Equato in my eyes. I think that, I think that'd be a reach. Honestly, you think Johnson would be a reach? A lot of people F4, have Johnson F4, going four. I do. A lot of people have him going seven. I mean, it's not like, I don't know. I don't think it's a massive reach. I mean, if you love the player, you take him at four. But it, okay, if you think that's a reach, then I think Aquanu probably makes the most sense. I think I think it would be Aquanu. As as much as I don't like to admit it, I think it would be uh, him in this situation. Um, I guess the other option is is just hope for for a trade down. Um, okay, so let's say so we have Hutchinson number one, Trayvon Walker number two, Sauce Gardner number three, Kayvon number four. Uh, Giants are picking. Let's, what do we give them? Probably a tackle. Equan yeah, or Neil, who do you think? Uh, who's Joe Schoen and Brian Dable will strike you? More of an Equano guy or a Neil guy? I, I'm i yeah, sort of feeling Neil. Dable has the Alabama connection. I, I could yeah. see Neil. Okay, fine. Neil. So we, all right, so we have Neil and then six, the Panthers. Sorry, Sam, but I, I'm thinking Malik Willis here. Do you agree with that? Or do you think they go and try to build? I mean, Equano's on the board. They have a definite needed offensive tackle. Um, you lean. Which way are you leaning? I'm leaning Willis because I think Rule is on the hot seat, and I think he has to take a swing. I mean, yeah, let's go Willis. the The other way to look at that is that you know he just tries to give Sam the best chance to succeed. But after they already they brought in Cam last year, and Darnold fell apart, and it's a new system. I was talking to you. I mean, just a bummer for Sam. I, I'm not saying that you know, Sam is going to be a pro bowler, but the fact that he has literally had zero continuity when it comes to offensive schemes. I mean, the only, the only continuity he's ever had was Gase from 2019 to 2020, which we can all acknowledge, acknowledge is probably the worst offensive system in the league, but every year he has a new offensive coordinator and he's just not been able to get comfortable. So I'll go Willis. Cause I think it maybe it buys rule some more time. 
Giants back on the clock. Sauce Gardner's gone. That's that's the guy who I see mocked to them a lot. Uh, they could go Jermaine Johnson. They could go Kyle Hamilton. What do you feel? Um, we, I, did we just what do you think them? Hamilton? Yeah, sure. You know what? They come from Buffalo. They saw the success of, of Mike Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Yeah. Let's say they fall in love with Hamilton. Whatever. We'll, we'll say that. I think I think that makes sense. Okay, then the Falcons on the, the clock. Let's let's make it a little harder at 10. Let's say they take a receiver. Which receiver do you think the yeah, Falcons? Yeah, it's got to be a receiver here. Um, uh, I, I think Garrett Wilson. So Garrett Wilson's gone, who I think makes a lot of sense for the Jets at 10 when you look at the type of receiver that they would want. Um, so that's a bit of a bummer. Uh, and then lastly, the Seahawks are available for the Seahawks are picking at, at nine. I, I was kind of, I was, I could kind of see the Stingley buzz for some reason, just cause it kind of seems like a, a John Schneider pick to me. They, they do always try to go for maybe Stingley isn't the, they, they always try to outsmart everybody. If you notice that every Seahawks first round pick yeah. is kind of somebody out of nowhere. Um, actually, Aquanu's still on the boards. So they could go, Oh yeah. They probably got Aquanu in this situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we really let him slip yeah. a little bit. But That's I guess a- if he gets past the Giants and the Jets, there is going to be kind of a tumble. I mean, the Falcons could maybe take them. Yeah, the Falcons um, make oh, that's true. The Falcons make a lot of sense. We already gave him Wilson. Yeah, whatever. We gave him Wilson. We'll just go out. He has to go here. All right. Now the Jets are on the board, and just a reminder. So we had Hutchinson go number one, Trayvon Walker two, Sauce Gardner three, Kayvon Thibodeau four. Evan Neal, five, Malik Willis, six, Kyle Hamilton, seven, Garrett Wilson, number eight, and Ike McWanna, number nine. Michael, you were on the clock as Joe Douglas. Put your ball cap on. Who do you see the Jets taking a 10? Um, I think you got a good choice. This is a good scenario where you get, well, Let's go through the options. You know? let's, let's go through the options. So, yeah. receiver, they got, they, they could go with a receiver. Drake London is probably right. the favorite there, but Jamison Williams also on the board. Keep an eye on Chris Olave. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule him out. He's another guy to keep an eye out for. Uh, with his four two two speed, um, if they don't go receiver, I mean they they could go the Stingley route. Have both uh, the edge options uh, or second tier edge options, I guess you'd call them, and Carl Aftis and Johnson. Well, they they took Kavon, so. Oh my! I'm so stupid. That. I forgot we did that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. I, I they probably receiver. I mean, all the rumblings is that they'd go receiver here, so it really just comes down to which receiver you want and you like Drake London, but you've made a really good point about Douglas taking the athletes on the opening days of the draft. Do you think there is some optimism with James and Williams, his recovery. Um, He recently said that he should be good to go for camp or at least around there. Um, but let's go Jameson Williams. That's who I was. Kind of, I was, I was hoping. It. I'm kind of feeling it. You just completely jumped off the Drake London train right there. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I just jumped right off. I'll go Jameson Williams. And I think a lot of fans might, might draw the scorn of some fans, especially considering the injury luck of this team. But it's like, as I, as I mentioned to you earlier, you have Drake London as your number one receiver. But hell, he's got a ton of injury issues too. He couldn't even, like you said, he couldn't even make his pro day. He's having injuries with his, obviously, he broke his ankle. He's had some hamstring injuries recently as well. I mean, and before this injury for Jamison Williams, he wasn't really an injury-prone guy. So I, I like Jamison Williams. Right? And, and he makes the most amount of sense. And you look at the three things, as I said, speed, I mean, double check for him, uh, separation, check for him, yak, check for Jamison Williams. And he fits that exact type of burner, take the top off of the defense um, that they really need. So it sets the Jets up uh, with Kayvon and Jamison Williams. I'm walking out of that draft, Michael. I, I'm skipping out of that draft class. I yeah. love Obviously, there's some question marks with the off-field stuff with Kayvon, the injury stuff with Jamison Williams, but 
you have to love the if that was the Jets draft class in, in round one, you have to love the swings. Um, just for fun, before we get out of here, 35 and 38. I mean, if, if they go, Kayvon, Jamison, do you have any anybody you'd keep an eye out for? I mean, it, it's so hard to predict because, you know, there's like 30 picks in between that. But I mean, I'd love to go after a defensive tackle, like I said earlier. Um, a safety to, you know, complete your duo with Whitehead would be good. Um, and then again, I mentioned this, uh, brought this up a few minutes ago, but I think if they're really serious about tackle, that could be in play here. They want that, ta- uh, you know, backup and then slash developmental player for next year. Um, a lot of possibilities. I think, I think knocking out edge and receiver in round one really does kind of open things up for you here. All right. Well, Michael, there you have it. We ran through. Uh, a bit of what do you want to call this? I mean, it's the, the Joe Douglas role playing simulator. I mean, we, I mean, we went through every <laughs> yeah, single I, scenario. I guess, I guess you can call it that. We, <laughs> no, we're not calling it that. We went through every single scenario <laughs> that I think we, we could think of, but uh, tweet us your own scenarios at CYJ Pod uh, on Twitter. Uh, tweet us what you think of these scenarios. How do you feel about the initial? That's not that. That can't be the official CYJ mock draft, but that was just a little rough draft of uh, these scenarios. Because, I mean, at this point, that's what the Jets are doing pretty much all day, every day is just running through every single simulation and trying to be prepared for whatever comes at them. Um, but if that was the top 10 right there, I think I'd be pretty happy. Uh, as I said, you can follow us at TYJ pod on Twitter, Michael, Michael underscore nanny and myself at Ben W. Blessington, go to jetsxfactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. Michael, last thoughts, please don't leave me hanging this time. Cause the last few times, Michael, you were giving me nothing. <laughs> I actually have a good question. How do you think okay. teams, like in the war room, not necessarily the war room, like right now are playing out mock drafts and hypothetical scenarios. Do they have like their own custom simulator that they built? Do they just have each scout take a team? How, how do you think they sort of execute that? Probably the, at this point, yeah, well, they do have, they have like a pro personnel department that goes and, you know, is keeping an eye on every single team. And that's how they know, you know, when a random third string safety gets cut and they like, and that's in it to sign him. I would say that, I, yeah, I don't think they're, they're going onto the draft network and, and running the simulation. They're not maybe. using the JetX off season simulator. Uh, maybe for fun occasionally, <laughs> but in these, in these war rooms, I think they, they've done their, their research, their scouting, they have their sources. A lot of GMs will talk to each other. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be a giant secret. I mean, some teams probably don't communicate, but like, you know, I would imagine like last year, I would imagine the, the Niners knew the Jets were taking Zach Wilson. I mean, everybody knew the Jets were taking Zach Wilson, but you have that connection between Sala and the Jets. I would imagine same thing with like the Eagles and the Jets. I mean, these guys have connections throughout the Rex Hogan and the Colts. I mean, the whole front office is comprised of guys. So I think most people in league circles have a good idea of what it'll look like. Um but I, yeah, I don't think I don't like to run in the, the Jets the Jets X Factor offseason simulator. But you can go to jetsxfactor.com and you can run it yourself. All right, Michael. I think there we're you good. go. That, that was smooth. It's a nice little smooth segue there. We're back, baby. I mean, we're a little rusty, a <laughs> little rusty, but we'll be back. Uh, this is gonna come out Tuesday. We're gonna have another episode coming out Friday, and then we're gonna try to stick to that Monday Friday schedule. Uh, and then when it comes to draft week, we'll have a bunch of, of episodes coming out that week. So uh, again, uh, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, we know we've been a little inconsistent the last few months, but um, you know, we don't want to be all talk, no action. We don't want to be Rex Ryan in 2012. We want to be Rex Ryan in 2009. So, uh, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll refrain from the talk. Um, but, uh, we are looking forward to having a great off season. Um, yeah, 17 days until the draft, Michael, let's see what happens. Thanks for listening. Everybody have a great week.